Bro, yo, all they did was fuck, do drugs, and make art in a French mansion. Like, that's that's living. Like, a a very possibly haunted French mansion. I mean, if if you found the love of your life and you just happen to stumble on some Caspers... I mean, this is a fair trade-off. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I I would probably be more excited about the Caspers. The love of my life is just icing. Like, get me a Ouija board. Let's fucking go. <laughs> Give me a Ouija board. Let's go. I left the San Antonio protest like when it was turning dark because I figured that's when shit would shake off. Like, um, yeah, San, San Antonio specifically, they're definitely a more conservative city uh, than I would actually hope for. But it's like the city's really old. Like, it has like a higher older population and a big like military population. And this is a Blue Lives Matter city. Like, this is, like, literally, like, Blue Lives Matter is not, like, a like a passe thing up here. Like, they, mm-hmm. they support their police department up here. Yeah, I definitely had a moment where, like, everything kind of fled to the surface, man. Like, I mean, for me, like, the only real question I have is what are white people going to do to save this country? Mm-hmm. What are, what are white people going to do? Not even it's not even just like not electing Trump, but it's like what are you gonna do to demilitarize police? What are you mm-hmm. gonna do to end, like police brutality? Like there's like multiple levels of correctness that needs to occur before mm-hmm. any sort of real progress could happen. And so, and the funny thing is like I legit I still out of all this I still don't think Trump is gonna get out of office. I I legit still think he's gonna get reelected and. I don't know what will actually happen because of that. Like, I don't like. It's so weird. Like, we're not even in November yet. <laughs> like, I mean, well, I mean, we're we're still five months away from November. Yep. Biden is a candidate who, I mean, he's basically like a paper Democrat, honestly. Like, he's he's not going to be better than Barack, and I don't think he's going to be better than Clinton. But at the same time, like, virtually anybody. <laughs> is better than fucking trump so so i mean he gets elected he's a he's gonna be like a conservative democrat or whatever and maybe we have like a smudge of respectability but at the same time like it still takes people in their local governments put pressure on their politicians like senators governors mayors up and down the line to really promote any kind of real change and like that that starts with white people like it's it's kind of no way around it Mm -hmm. and i think when people even use the word like racism it's it's a scary word to a lot of white people and 
a lot of white people don't really know how to digest it. They think it's clan hoods and burning crosses. Like, that's the extreme of it, but there's other parts of it, too. Mm-hmm. It's other parts that need to be digest, digested and actually addressed before any sort of real change happens. And so it's it's tough, man. Like, it's 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 going to be a really long road, man. Like, like, bro, it's only the first day of June. <laughs> like, every... Um, I know myself, like, before 2020 came, man, I could not wait to get the fuck out of 2019. Like, mm-hmm. I had a lot of highs and I had a lot of lows in 2019. It was better than 2018, I'll say, but... It was one of those things where, you know how, like, you have a calendar and you just want to get that calendar off the fucking wall, man? Like, yep. that's how it was in December, man. Actually, shit, before that, honestly, but I just wanted to get that 2019 off the fucking scoreboard and mm-hmm. 2020, man. This shit cannot, like, get off the wall soon enough, man. Like, this shit yeah. is so crazy. It's so crazy. Yep. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, like, this year can kick rocks. Yeah, but um, how your parents are doing? How your, how's your family doing? We're we're all alright. I feel that perhaps a little too much buying into the media cycle is happening. For them or for you? For them. Okay. Although I think we all kind of have obsessive tendencies in this household. We really like to be informed, and that has. It created some interesting questions about what does media literacy look like, you know, because I don't know if you, you know, were paying attention to some of the stuff that's coming out of Atlanta at one point when they said, like, there's a lineup of kids outside the mall that's like trying to guilt people into not looting. And then that was like reported on by the New York Times, but then the next day completely debunked by the New York Times, but in two different articles So it was never like, if you scrolled down to the bottom, it didn't update. Oh, the correction? It wasn't there. It was in a separate article. Oh, fuck. God damn. So I had cited an article in the New York Times saying that this happened, and they were able to, you know, source one back that said it didn't. Wow. And, you know, it's kind of, I understand that part of the news cycle now is getting eyes on what you're posting. Yeah. But, like, it's it makes it really difficult to have a conversation when the, the news is wrong. Is, yeah. Yeah, flat out. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so that's and that kind of creeps into the whole, like, fake news thing where, like, we were we really would have been in a way better place if even just the phrase fake news just was not a thing. Because, I mean, like, there was never like 100% accuracy for reporting, but even just the label fake news, now everything is mm-hmm. fake. So, like, I mean, because even in that example, like, there were people in, I think it was Maryland, they were basically pushed by the cops um, to like stay in this like Whole Foods parking lot. Mm-hmm. And there was this one like dude, he was either a white kid or a Hispanic kid, like, they didn't know. But this one dude was, like, trying to tear down Whole Foods, but everyone else is, like, telling them to stop. stop. Yeah, so it's kind of like, if whoever is going to report that, is it going to be someone that says, group of crowd tries to stop looter, or 
Whole Foods is looted by, you know, protesters or whatever. So right. it's really hard, man. Like it's like we live in such a time when we assume because we get information fast that it's correct. Mm-hmm. And it's just not the case in in some instances. Um yeah. So, so yeah, like I mean for me, like I felt for some like um it wasn't necessarily misreporting, it was like over reporting like a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. But I like deleted the tweet or whatever. I forgot what it was even in response to, but I think for me, like even this last like I guess five days, like my my kind of source is just Twitter, but I find my TL it's pretty decent at putting up like um because i don't like aggregate my tl i just Mm -hmm. have like straight line and i really don't check the explorer page for news Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like other people have kind of saw this embedded it and retweeted or whatever and even then you know that could still get you know rebuked or whatever but actually actually no someone i almost i almost fell for some fake news yesterday because it was Someone retweeted this video and said a looter stole a tank. And like like the visual of it was so wild that I was like, this no way this shit is real. But then as soon as I got over that amazement, I saw like how all the cars in the video were all super old. Like mm-hmm. like like the boldest car was like a ninety-six Chevy. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, this is clearly not from this year. This is obviously some old yeah. shit. Someone's retweeting. We're living in super weird times, man. Yeah. And I think it's also tough because some people are pro, you know, these sheriffs, police that are, you know, kneeling with, marching with people. Some people are saying it's just a publicity thing. And I think probably both people are right. Yeah. Yeah. There was there was a there was a woman that posted. It was a cop holding like a in police brutality sign Mm -hmm. and then like six or seven hours later she retweeted her own post and said this is a this was like a ruse like they these cops eventually tear gassed us Mm -hmm. so that's why i said like i left before it got dark because the way san antonio is like i know that the cops down here there was actually a a a cop killing like a, a a cop killed this guy here i think it was a couple of months ago but like that shit got no news up here Mm -hmm. so i knew like they weren't going to do shit in the daytime but i knew she was going to shake out at night and my tags expired like two months ago so (laughs) and so they're like there's like a shitload of cops out like Mm -hmm. so because where i was like i saw them basically like triangulating like different areas through downtown sa and i was i kind of had a feeling it would shake out and then at night they were clearing out a block that i was actually on and like um one kid got shower like a rubber bullet or whatever mm-hmm. so if one kid got shower that you can assume that other kids probably got shot as well so mm-hmm. so yeah man, it's um it's pretty wild out here i'm not the person to say other than like not voting for trump i'm not the one to say how you should sort of do things politically yourself and like i said like i mean you're someone who is sick like well not you sick but you could get people in your household potentially sick like eric is a father and a, and a husband like mm-hmm. if something happens to you guys like there are other ramifications i'm i'm a single guy you know living in a one-bedroom apartment so the radius of me getting fucked up 
is is not as palpable as like other people. So for the most part, like I don't think it's necessarily bad that people don't protest. I think the only thing would be even if you're not like you know in the streets, or whatever. Kind of what are you doing? Like how are you? Like what is your part in doing? Like are you doing other things that supplement? Like you know you're not protesting, but you know are you active? and you know staying politically astute like mm-hmm. do you know who to vote for who not to vote for like are you having a hard conversation with your family or whatever mm-hmm. so there's there's way more things to do to be politically active than to just vote or to just march because i mean shit there are cl- there were like cloud chasers out there was some posts where fucking jake paul was looting a mall i saw who's jake paul i jake saw jake paul is was one of the most subscribed to YouTubers of all time. Uh, his brother Logan took a video in the Japanese suicide forest. Yeah, okay. Because I, I knew Logan, but I didn't know that it was his brother. That whole family is... Uh, Appalling. And le- you leave this in the podcast. You can fucking leave it in. I don't give a shit. That's a family full of fuck-ups, and the fact that they made money doing what they do is fucking abhorrent to me. Yeah. Um, and also, I would I would like to state for the record that they market to young, young children. Yeah. And yeah. parents who let their children watch that. I may never say anything to your face, but know that I am judging you a lot. <laughs> yes. You know, the they are bad people. And, yeah, I, I have a lot of opinions about them, especially because it, they a huge part of what they do is create candy-coated merchandise with implications that children can't even begin to understand. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have an army of children wearing T-shirts, you know, that are implying that literal children want, like, sexual attention from women or are, you know, shilling other products. Like, it's, it's disgusting. Um, and thinking about them too much, frankly, makes my blood boil. Uh, and so the fact that he literally lives in a like million dollar, several million dollar California mansion with like his buddies and he thought it would be fun to fly to Arizona to loot a mall. Jesus Christ. Now, of course, reflects terribly on the more or less peaceful protesting that was happening there. Yeah. Who do you think you are, white boy? <laughs> he's he's a white man, like that's the problem. Like he he's a white man living in a white society that lets white men get get away with a lot. That's that's a big problem. I've just been trying to amplify voices because for better or for worse, I have a platform. It's a small platform. I but my little corner of the internet is pretty all right. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure that people who are sharing are getting heard. Definitely. Definitely, man. But yeah, man, fight the fucking power. <laughs> Basically, that's the long and short of do it. Do your research before November. Yeah, because it's just not, it's not just Trump. But it's not just the top. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere. It's all, it's all different levels of government man who my daddy's podcast is called hyphenation it's the world's greatest podcast Barack Obama proof on hyphenation my daddy talks about all kinds of cool
And sometimes I'm on the podcast too. Sometimes he has his friend Marcus on. Sometimes he stays up really late and he's tired the next day. But it's worth it. But you love this podcast and I love his podcast. So I really want you to listen to Hyphenation. So Daddy doesn't get sad. He really doesn't get sad though because he has me. Oh wait, please listen to Hyphenation. Thanks y'all. I love the podcast. So please, please, please try to join. But if you know him. But let's talk about something beautiful, man. I think this might be my favorite week for all movies. Maybe since Ryan Johnson. I would actually say, yeah. Like, actually, for me, like, Portrait Lady on Fire, I gave, I'm pretty sure I gave that five stars. I gave The Farewell four and a half, and I gave Little Women five stars. So I think this this is definitely, like, my highest rated week for movies. Yeah. So, which one do we want to start with? Well, let's keep with the theme, ladies' choice. Where do you want to start? After hearing about what was happening last night, I was kind of anxious and terrified and, frankly, a damn mess. And uh, at a certain point, I had to put my phone down. I had to stop checking Twitter. And I decided, all right, you know what? I was going to watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire Monday during the day, but I'm going to just sit down and watch it now. And hopefully by the time it's over, you know, I'll I'll be a little more calm. Yeah. I tend to be an anxious phone checker, just generally. I did not check my phone once during Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Good. From the the first moments of this movie, I was leaning forward. I was engaged. And I think that the the beauty of this movie is stunning it's one of those movies where you could print out pretty much any frame and hang it on your wall i think i have the movie on the background and i'm at the scene where heloise runs to the beach and then she stops and mm-hmm. says always wanted to do that what uh, jump run run and so the scene where they're doing the silhouette like the the half mm-hmm. of her face I, I like just finished that scene yeah visually this movie is Actually, not even that. Going back a little bit when you said, like, you're kind of anxious, you watch the movie and everything kind of, like, calm down. Like, I think this movie is really great at that. Like, this movie is really soft and really quiet, but it has, like, a lot of emotions and it has, like, a lot of, like, depth to it. Mm-hmm. And so, one, when I actually saw this, when I first saw it, beginning of the year, like, I didn't actually even know this was a um, foreign language film. So soon as soon as the subtitles hit, I was like, okay, well, here we are. I do have but, to ding Amazon on one thing. What? They did not auto start the English subtitles. That's stupid as hell. <laughs> so I was wondering if it was like kind of a thing where like in the beginning, because she uses certain like art phrases. Yeah. That it was like, okay, the subtitles like start when the dialogue starts. And then it didn't, and I was like, what the fuck? Like, I had to go in and turn them on, and then I started the whole thing over. Jesus Christ. So Hulu, I gotta... Hulu, if you want to be a sponsor, Hulu, you didn't do that, so... So I'm I'm sorry, Amazon, but I can't let you do that without ribbing you on main. But what specifically about this movie that attracted you? So first of all, just aesthetically, like I, like we said, it's it's beautiful. 
it's been a really long time since I saw a movie that is mostly female in its cast. Obviously, like, Little Women, sure, but, like, there are still men in that. They're still very involved. There were virtually no men in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah, the only men are the, the, the people that ride, drive the boat. And for me, it's been so long since I've seen such lovely portrayals of female friendship and then female romance that I just got swept up in it. I It almost felt like getting in the ocean, you know, <laughs> when your feet kind of blow out from under you. Yeah. And and you're you're floating, but you're moving, and it's such a combination of sensation. Yeah. That like, I realized when they kissed that I had been holding my breath for a really long time. Bro, that first kiss, that first kiss was fucking gnarly. That was fucking filmmaking, man. That was excellent mm-hmm. how they pulled it off. But I I loved the scene. Uh, where they're in bed and they're talking about the moment they first wanted to kiss one another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a pretty, pretty beautiful scene. But also the way that it portrays painting and artistry and art and creation, I thought was so beautiful. Yeah. You know, even the scene where they're sitting together at the harpsichord. Yeah. My heart just felt so full. <laughs> and also, in in a slightly more abstract sense, the bookends of the film they color swap. Marianne spends the whole kind of flashback sequence in red and orange. Yeah. And Heloise is always in blue. Wow! And I in didn't the catch that. Heloise is in Which pink is and red. Painted. And when Marianne, Marianne goes to the art blue. show, she's wearing blue. I didn't uh, notice that. You know, so you see the ways that they touched each other, even outside of, you know, she hid a little nod to their tryst in the painting with the, you know, the page number and whatever. You see the other ways that people you love affect you. Yeah. And that's a thing that, like, I have been noticing, you know, more with some of my my friends and even myself, where, like, you know, this is a, a similar thing in a way but it's very dumb at the same time like i say coolio because someone i used to date said coolio all the time and that just (laughs) absorbed into how i talk oh hell yeah like me and my college friends we we would just absorb each other's lingo and just use it like it was nothing like Mm -hmm. on a regular basis like it wasn't anything even weird but i mean it makes sense like you're paying attention to people that you love not even romantically, but people that you have love for and you kind of pick up their mannerisms, like things that, that they do that you think are cool, you try to incorporate it into your personality. Mm-hmm. And then that's how every, I mean, that's how people sync up. Like that's how you have inside jokes. Like that's how you make memories with people. And so, I mean, this is this is definitely a movie of, of like true intimacy like like they're intimate together and so they kind of pick up these things from each other mm-hmm. i also really loved sophie yeah they're not made but i know you're talking about their their housekeeper house yeah housekeeper yeah and i love the friendship that blooms in the five days that the mistress is gone yeah oh uh, yeah because it 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 feels like between Heloise Marion and Sophie as as the group 
it feels like the type of I've been looking for a friend for so long and now I've finally found two and they're wonderful, you know, and that way that you can achieve intimacy so quickly just by spending time with someone that you've been waiting for. Yeah. And I, I really loved that. Yeah, man. Like it's even when they were saying goodbye at the end, like everyone's saying goodbye to each other at the end, like, you can feel like the actual loss that they're all feeling in that moment. Saying goodbye is like really hard in a lot of different ways. Like when I eventually left Morgantown, like it sounds so bad to say, but like I I like actively like didn't want to say goodbye to people. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's actually kind of bad, but like there are a couple of people who I known for for years and I was just gonna dip out of town. But I yeah. like happened to catch him at the last moment um, before I left or whatever. So <laughs> it's just, I mean, saying goodbye is hard. Like no matter how you shape it, like mm-hmm. whether it's like a romantic love or a platonic love, like people who you build memories with, like a lot of times you don't want to let that go. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, man, goodbye is really hard. I also love that uh, the way that they chose to show Marianne's impending dread was through it was visual yeah because i feel like it it really caught in the way that musicians often feel things and and writers often feel things in writing yeah marianne saw the future that existed without her yeah you know through heloise and her wedding it made it so powerful especially because then the pose is mimicked in the painting that she sees of her later where she's holding hands with her daughter yeah that's damn i can't even imagine kind of how tough that would even even be like not well tough weird all those kind of like mixed emotions like i can see how that would be a really sort of strange situation Mm -hmm. what did you feel about the um what did you feel about the very end when Marianne saw Heloise at the at the uh, play at the opera? First of all, I think that like I'm I'm fairly certain it's the piece that uh, Marianne was playing for on the harpsichord. Yeah. But like rendered out. Yeah. You know? And first of all, seeing Heloise at the orchestra made me very very happy. You know because the idea that she will find solace. And, and she did through something that they both appreciated. I really loved. But also seeing her cry made me, I don't want to say made me happy because that's not true. But like it, it felt like it completed the narrative in a lot of ways because she's crying because of the beauty of the music. She's crying because of the memories and the time lost. And it just became such a, at least they both know. Yeah, she still held on to that memory. And so it's kind of like, obviously she loves music so much that she's thrilled. But then it's kind of like, she's immediately triggered into like, this is a song that the woman that I fell in love with played me. And so it's like, and the music is beautiful in itself. So it's this real, like, true roller coaster of like yeah. emotions that she's really going through. And the actress, you know, that played this, uh, that played Heloise, uh, Adele, 
um, I can't pronounce her last name because it's French or something That's like okay. that. <laughs> but but she um she did an amazing job in that one scene man like yeah i thought the entire movie was executed like extremely well i mean hell even the wild rider like the abortion scene where sophia has to lay next to a baby yeah that's going on like that that's like the mind fuck of the century right there but even and still whenever like, she clenches her fist the yeah. the baby puts its hand in in there yeah and for me I was so, Sophie said, you know, she, they end up painting her like that. Yeah. And I, I initially was thinking like that it almost seemed cruel to ask her to do that. Maybe it is, but at the same time, like, I think it was more that she was trying to create a log of their time together, Yeah. which was... when you think of it that way, makes it a little bit less weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I was thinking about that too. I think, Heloise wanted to do the painting. I think, yeah, as a symbol of, you know, marking what happened. But even still, like, I think there's not necessarily like a like a sick way or anything, but it's like we acknowledge you had this very traumatic experience. And so even though we're trying to capture this moment, it's just more of an acknowledgement of, you know, what you had to go through in this moment. Mm -hmm. So I do think in kind of like a kind of upside down way, it was like trying to honor that moment, even though it was a very traumatic moment. Yes. I also think that in a way it is a show of not precisely solidarity, but of the desire to understand because that's a very difficult for for lack of a better term trauma at least in the bodily sense to experience yeah um never even mind the emotional sense that two of the women have now been through yeah you know and i think it it comes from a desire to understand and to care and to remember yeah and i appreciate that very much this is a very delicate movie man i think it is this is definitely a good watch if you are trying to just kind of like have like quietness or like calmness i mean because if you think about it there's no music in this movie other than the hopsichord and the very end yes so it's all it's all uh footsteps on wood it's all ocean sounds it's all fluffy dress dresses crunching up against each other Mm -hmm. so i think this is definitely a a good choice by you watching this um to settle in it Um, also it does this beautiful thing and i think a, a lot of films set in europe do this but only some do it excellently where it looked like a postcard like all that water was so blue yeah but it's very different than the blue of the sky and it's you know very different than the green of the grass and the the gray of the cliffs and it's all so just breathtakingly beautiful yeah like the cinematography of this movie is is excellent i i don't think there's any flaw in this movie i'll be quite frank other than sort of documentaries from the past that I've watched, I can comfortably say like this is the best thing I've watched this whole year so far. It's really excellent. Um, I, I would I, I would change any, I wouldn't change anything about this movie at all. My favorite quote, which if anyone ever says this to you or to the listeners out there, if they say this to you, you know, I know what's going to happen in like the next thirty seconds. But do all lovers feel like they're inventing something? Something. 
That bro, that line, dog. That line. That is a fucking movie line. That is a mm-hmm. line. Oh, I can't even think of a movie line. That's a movie that I've seen in recent past has a line like that. Like that's that's elegance, man. That's great. Yeah. That's love. Yeah. I gave it five stars. Did you give it a rating? I haven't rated it yet. I finished it at like quarter of two last night. Oh shit. Huh. <laughs> I mean, I usually go to bed around 2, 2.30, since time's not real for me right now. Time is not a concept. Time is a concept. It's not a real thing. <laughs> so, you know, I've been doing that nice, like, 2 to 10 sleep schedule, because I don't have to do anything else. I feel you. And so, I didn't want to write it when it was still so fresh. Yeah. And uh, I just I just haven't gotten back to it yet honestly but i i really enjoyed it i think it's probably gonna get a four and a half i don't think i've given anything a five on letterbox yet well what are you saving the five star for i don't know i think i'll know it when i see it (laughs) i mean the star rating means different things to a lot of different people i'm not even sure how many things i've even given five stars i mean it hasn't according to my letterbox i've given 41 things five stars but i've reviewed 140 movies already so i mean that's what kind of batting average is that like even mary poppins which i largely consider a perfect movie i gave four and a half okay wow so i'm at about 29 percent 28 and a half percent i think even the movies i'm reviewing so far if they're not for this podcast they're kind of like for movies i put lists to or things that i watched Mm -hmm. recently but if i review more movies i'm pretty sure my five stars will get like um pretty smaller as they go by but oh that's not true i gave alien five stars alien is the only movie i've given five stars to okay (laughs) do you want to revisit that or do you want to keep it five stars Uh, so i i literally wrote and i will not be taking questions at this time as my review (laughs) uh and that feels about similarly accurate still yeah i just think that to me and and this may be how i i describe it you know if that were a thing to me alien is the most perfect example of its genre yeah perhaps ever and to me feeling like that I don't know if Portrait of a Lady on Fire is that to me. I think it may be a perfect movie, but it may not be a perfect example of of its genre. And I think that is the only differentiation to me between four and a half and five. Well, this is falls into the romance. Can you right. can you think of uh, romantic movies that you've watched that would possibly fill the five star role? No. But that may just mean that I haven't seen it yet. Okay. I dig it. I uh, dig also, it. I'm watching Little Women right now, and I forgot my friend is in it. Holy shit, you have a friend that's in this movie? Yeah, I used to do theater with this lovely kid named Adrian. Uh, he's a dancer and a very good one. And he's in the ball, the first oh, shit. ball. And okay. I just looked over and I was like, oh! Like he said, he was like in it in a bit part, and he's the one who keeps trying to get Joe to dance. Oh, the tall dude! Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I know you're talking about now. Yeah. Because he looks at her and she like darts away. Right. She hides, and in her hiding, she meets Laurie. Oh, if you're gonna do a bit part, at least he's like center frame, and he for a while. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Shout out to him. 
Yeah, he uh, he and I used to do theater together, and he announced on Facebook that he was going to be in this, and I was shook. Uh, and then I saw it, and when I saw it, I was surprised by how much he was actually in it, considering that he was like, oh, it's no big, like, I, I'm only in, like, one scene for a sec. And I, I was, again, immediately surprised by it. <laughs> nah man like like that would definitely be like my twitter my facebook like profile picture like yeah. without, without any shame at all but before we pivot to little women do you have any final thoughts on portrait just watch it at least up here i feel like it didn't come into theaters until the beginning of 2020 and then the rest yeah. of 2020 happened and now everything is garbage so uh it's on hulu also amazon is renting it for a little cheaper than some of the other movies because they don't want to compete with hulu yeah so yeah. uh i watch like it if i would have saw this like last year i probably would have put it just under parasite and just above book smart yeah. um, but yeah it didn't come to like actual theaters until i think i saw this i saw 1917 in january and i saw a portrait sometime like february ish march right i think it was february because it was right before you saw wendy yeah because so, you were talking about it a little bit during the wendy episode and i was like no i haven't seen it <laughs> Yeah, I guess this is technically the second movie I saw before COVID. Well, second to last movie I saw before COVID. And then yeah. Wendy was the last one. But yeah, man, like I I definitely highly recommend Portrait of Lady on Fire. What makes me want to get close to someone and snuggle? Fear. Salutations. I'm Melisette. And on a frightful fret with Melisette... I read classic horror stories combining audiobooks and audio drama into a podcast. Come away with me into the darkness and let me make your ears tingle with a sensation of terror. A Frightful Fret with Melisette. Available everywhere podcasts are and find us at ourfrightfulfret.net. Don't forget. Now, let's pivot to Little Woman. But before we get to the 2019 version, did you know there's like a dozen of these movies? Yeah, my, my whole review is talking about if as many adaptations of Little Women exist, need to exist. So as someone who grew up reading the book, uh, like Little Women takes place like less than 10 miles from my house. Yeah. It's very New Englandy. Yeah, I um, tell. I have found that there is so much that exists in Little Women that most every adaptation has a different focus. And as long as I can tell why the director wants to tell the story of Little Women, I generally speaking give it high marks. Okay, understandable. So I feel like in the case of, let's say, the 1994 version with Winona Ryder and Susan Sarandon is Marmy and Christian Bale is Laurie, uh, the focus of that one is very much on family okay and what it means to be women and family okay or as the the focus of greta gerwig's is different and she is focusing on what it means to be a woman in a in a male dominated world in a male dominated field i actually i tried 
starting the 94 little woman but i was maybe distracted but i just couldn't necessarily like get focused on it for whatever reason Mm -hmm. but i can kind of tell like stylistically they're vastly different just even just a little even just watching it just a little bit i can tell like they're pretty different without necessarily spoiling it for me because i do eventually want to see the 94 version Mm Is there, like, stark differences between the two? Plot-wise, they're very similar. But how they choose to portray what they're doing is very different. Okay. So, you know, I think that the moral of Greta Gerwig's Little Women is that there's no perfect way to be a woman, right? Yeah. I mean, you can get more nuanced than that, but, like, if you had to give it, like, five words or less... And I think that the 1994 one is more like there's no perfect way to be a family. Hmm, okay. Then, yeah, if he's kind of set it up like that, I can definitely tell how they would be different. Yeah. Uh, See, I'll definitely give that a shot soon. I mean, because I'll explore everything. I also find that the 1994 version, I think, is a little more saccharine than this version. Okay. And that's not good different because it's reflecting back on time spent as the youth much less time is spent framing the background yeah but by that same token to me part of what i love about greta gerwig's version is we do get to see the girls grow up and we get to spend time with them grown up which is not often the part that is i would say adapted into film as often because it's, it is a lot more scenes of sitting around, and a lot of it is regaled to us in letters if you read the novel. It's not, you know, scenes we see. So the fact that, that Greta Gerwig took the time to, to figure out how those would have happened, I think, adds a lot to the little women as little women, not yeah. as girls. Of the film, who would you say you probably identify the most? And does that character differ greatly from the actual book itself? So are, are you asking which which little woman I am? Not 100%, but yeah, like who would you say you probably feel like you kind of have like a kinship with? I would make an argument that in this movie, it is really hard for me to pick just one because we get to see aspects of a lot of the different characters that aren't necessarily as clear-cut in the 94 version or other versions so for instance generally speaking i would say joe but in this version the way that they portray amy and her understanding that marriage is in fact an economic proposition the scene where she is wearing that beautiful dress and painting and explaining to laurie how exactly matrimony works from a woman's perspective I believe we have some power over who we love. It isn't something that just happens to a person. I think the poets might disagree. Well, I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And as a woman, there's no way for me to make my own money. Not enough to earn a living or to support my family. And if I had my own money, which I don't, that money would belong to my husband the moment we got married. And if we had children, they would be his, not mine. They would be his property. So don't sit there and tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition because it is. It may not be for you, but it most certainly is for me. Completely made me fall back in love with Amy in a way that I didn't want to because she's a shitty kid. Um, <laughs> Yo, yes, absolutely. But the fact that the movie doesn't judge her for being a shitty kid kind of helped to remind me that like, 
Right, she's a fucking kid. Like, she's like 11 when she burns that manuscript. Ooh, bro. I would have been so fucking furious. But yeah, oh, and I completely understand where Joe is coming from, too. But for me, the standout in, in Greta Gerwig's version of Little Women that I feel has never gotten enough credit in, in any iteration, but I feel that this particular adaptation just blew her right away, is Marmee. Yeah. Because that speech that Marmee gives where she says, I do get frustrated. I get frustrated a lot. Yeah. Every day. We finally get to see this side of Marmee that is not rose-painted glasses, idyllic. And we had our old ma, like. (laughs) Yeah. When I get in a passion, I get so savage. I could hurt anyone and I'd enjoy it. You remind me of myself. You're never angry. I'm angry nearly every day of my life. You are? I'm not patient by nature. But with nearly 40 years of effort, I'm learning to not let it get the better of me. I'll do the same then. I hope you'll do a great deal better. some natures too noble to curb and too lofty to bend. Marmee was always perfect because she was Marmee. You know, we get to see frustrated Marmee. We get to see that she is, it's hard. Yeah. Being a mother is hard. Being a mother without a husband is hard. You know, being the smallest of the six personalities in the house but still having to be in charge is hard. Yeah. You know, knowing that some of these girls are going to have to compromise their dreams is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, you know, actually getting to see that is, I think, very beautiful. Yeah. I think Greta Gerwig did a good job of giving everyone feels like three dimensional, like even in Joe's independence and her just sort of, this driven sense of I want to I want to write I want to create I want to teach but the final scene well not necessarily the final scene but the scene in the attic with Marmy when she's saying you know I don't even want to I don't even want to marry but I just don't want to be alone mm-hmm. that was fucking tough yeah like that I mean that was some real that was some real shit but that was hard and so I do think like she was able to give everyone that sort of depth. And even for, like, I think Florence Reed did a pretty good job as portraying a younger version of who Amy was, like, super immature, than the older version of this woman who wants to be an artist, but she knows that, like, the world she lives in, it's not going to allow that to happen. So she yeah. kind of has to pivot into making, like, an, a quote-unquote adult decision. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think this movie did a great job of giving everyone like three different sides of who they are. Yeah, I mean and as as heartbreaking as this is to say, like Amy works a lot better when you see her see her dreams die. Like I know that I know that sounds Ooh. terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you see her go from idyllic and almost entitled yeah. to okay, I can make do with this. I can make do with this to there's nothing to make do with why am i bothering with this yeah you know at least this way i 
you know, can maintain this lifestyle I'm used to. Yeah. You know, and and to to steal a phrase from from Heloise, like perhaps I will find moments of solace in this. <laughs> um, this is also one of the first times where I have found Joe realizing that perhaps Lori is what she wanted this whole time to be heartbreaking. Because yeah. a lot of times it doesn't happen like that. Like, it either happens much quicker and it's like, oh, she just, like, froze up and, like, that's not as strong. Or she never says anything. You know, she never puts the letter in the mailbox. It's never really talked about in that well, same way. But do you think that was from a sense of loving or loneliness? Because I, I think she basically, and I know people in real life who've kind of done this, like, they wanted to do the marriage just so they wouldn't be alone. I feel like she was kind of giving in on that. What is it? I don't know. I've always been quite content with my family. Don't understand it. Perhaps, um, perhaps I was too quick in turning him down, Laurie. Do you love him? If he asked me again, I think I would say yes. Do you think he'll ask me again? But do you love him? I care more to be loved. I want to be loved. That is not the same as loving. I know. You know, I just, I just feel, I just feel like women, they, they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts and they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty and I'm so sick of people saying that that love is just all a woman is fit for I'm so sick of it but I'm I'm so lonely I'm not convinced in this instance that it matters at least in terms of the emotional impact of the moment because yeah. In a lot of ways, it's subtly coded that only one of them, one of the girls will be successful, right? Yeah. Best case like, scenario, one yeah. of them will be successful. And Joe kind of has this moment where she's like, maybe I'll give up what I love if I don't have to be alone. Ooh. And and Amy had already come to that conclusion and done that. Yeah. And, you know, to have lost out on something like that to the sister, even if it was only a moment of, like, loneliness, she genuinely believed it would fix it. Yeah. Whether or not it actually would, it's kind yeah. of beside the point. Well, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing for me is, like, that matters a lot. Just for me, just for me, myself, like, it kind of matters a lot. But I think either way, like, even just sort of putting that, like, in the movie itself... Do they even have anything like this, or even like I said, don't no, don't necessarily spoil it for me. But did they kind of have like these kind of talks in the '94 movie or in the book at all? 
In the book, definitely. Uh, the book is like the width of the Bible. Like it's a it's a biggin. And Louisa May Alcott was very aware of what it meant to be a woman at the time that she was a woman. Okay. And and she wrote a book about that. <laughs> and like I will talk about the book a little bit at a certain point uh, because I do have some some thoughts on that. Uh, I don't remember in the 94 version it being nearly as big of a thing okay. as it is here. Okay. Um, but I also feel that the 94 version was not focusing on the the past versus future aspect as much. Okay. You know, it was instead focusing on the the family aspect and the loss of Beth. Okay. And how that affects a family instead of everything around that. I know you say you have some thoughts on the book. Can I talk a little bit about that now? Is it basically the book compared to the movie or what are your sort of thoughts on the book? I think that the book is beautiful. Um, and I, I genuinely think it is a classic. Uh, I'm aware that there is a lot of, for, for lack of a better term, like white people-ness wrapped up in it. <laughs> But it is written by a woman in a time when novels written by women were very uncommon. And it is a novel that, in a historical context, is one of the, the first times that it wasn't considered a women's interest book, if that makes sense. Yeah. So bankers and lawyers were known to have asked their you know office mates if they had read the most recent installment of Little Women. Okay. Which I I think is is beautiful in a way because it it is a thing that in the 1860s, well I think it actually came out a bit later than that, but like, you know, whatever, helped to to humanize women who had not even been given the right to vote yet. Okay. Do you think this movie did the book justice? Yes. I also think that it did a different aspect of the book justice than certain other adaptations have. And that's not good, bad, or indifferent. For me, one of the things that I particularly liked about this adaptation is that you actually kind of know who Mr. Bear is a little. Because in the book, uh, and I am not making this up, Mr. Bear comes in out of nowhere and they immediately get married and it's like a two-sentence piece Shit. in like a 600-word book. But it is because, like the editor says in this movie, no, no, she has to marry someone. Oh, Okay. And if you're watching very carefully, you notice the scene where she goes to to find Mr. Bear and the scene where they start the school together is in the same kind of rosy filter as the past is. Yeah. Not that hard steel blue that the present is. Yeah. Which I think kind of shows that it, it is a fabrication yeah, I was kind of hoping not, just I guess maybe the uh, romantic in me, but I feel like whenever she went to the train station and he was not there, I feel like that's that was the way that it, it would have ended, but they had to do the, you know, the the big, you know, family gathering, children the everywhere, cynic, anything. The cynic in me thinks that she didn't make it in time. Yeah. Also, you know, you can talk about the queer coding of Joe if you want. I used to have <laughs> I used to have the Joe doll. Um, she was similar in scale to a Barbie and uh, she had a little switch in her back and she would carry like 
pick a book up and bring Holy it up shit. to her face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joe was my favorite growing up. Joe, I think, is still overall my favorite. But as I've grown and matured as a person, I see that all of the women are women and are valid and are beautiful in, in each of their personality traits that they have. Because I think when you're little, it's a lot easier to be like, well, I want to be like Joe because Joe's cool. Like, yeah. And even, you know, the aunt that they don't really like <laughs> has some valuable things to say. Yeah. You know, no character is in this just because they suck. <laughs> going close. Uh, not going close. Oh, shit. Uh, Meryl Streep. She did an excellent job in that role. Doing the Lord's work. <laughs> The, the romantic in me thinks that she and Mr. Bear, whether or not the partnership was romantic or not, had a wonderful partnership, you know, and whether, you know, Joe is a secret lesbian or not, she <laughs> married someone who encouraged her talent. Yeah. And loved her for her talent. Not in spite of her talent, not, you know... Even though she has her talent. Yeah. You know, he fell in love with Joe the writer, not Joe the woman who writes. Yeah, I kind of buy that. And even talking about the queer coding, I think, I wonder how much of a conversation, you know, Greta Gerwig kind of had and wrestled with that with Social Ronin. I mean, obviously, you know, we talk about even, you know, just the... Uh, clothing and stuff whatever but you know even in the scene where they're in the valley with um timothy chalamet and laurie is like proposing and she's saying i don't know if i ever get married listen you'll find some lovely accomplished girl who will love you and adore you and and she's gonna make a fine mistress for your fine house but i wouldn't all right look at me i'm homely and i'm awkward and i'm on and you'd be ashamed of I me. I love you, Joe. And we would quarrel because we can't help it even now. I'd hate elegant society. You'd hate my scribbling. And we would be unhappy. And we'd wish we hadn't done it. And everything would be horrid. Teddy, I don't believe I will ever marry. I'm happy as I am. And I love my liberty too well to be in any hurry to give it up. I think you're wrong about that, Joe. No. I think you will marry, Joe. I think you'll find someone and love them. And you will live and die for them because that's your way. And you will. But it kind of feels like, you know, she just hasn't found the right woman for that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and most of that scene is stolen directly from the book. Most of the way that she dresses is taken directly from the book. Okay. You know, her her love for frock coats and the fact that she always plays the romantic male lead in her plays is very specific. Okay. And I think that may have been why as like a, a child who in a lot of ways was very feminine, but in a lot of ways was was not. You know, I was very drawn to her. And also as someone who, throughout most of my life, most of my closest friends have been male, the, the closeness and the bond that Laurie and Joe have has always been valuable to me. Yeah. Your mileage may vary on Timothy Chalamet as, like, public figure Timothy Chalamet, and that's fine. But I think that he brings this dimension to Laurie that I have not seen. And I, I don't know exactly how to describe it, because Christian Bale does a wonderful job with the performance. The guy who played him in the 1938 version, I think 1938, I don't remember his name, but also does a wonderful job. Like, there are a lot of wonderful Lauries out there, but there is this 
I don't know if it's exuberance. I don't know exactly what it is, but there is this movement, I guess, is probably the way that I would say that Timothy Chalamet has brought to Laurie that makes him feel a bit more real and a bit less of an imagining of a man and more of a boy who then grows into a man. I think Chalamet does a really good job in this movie. But keep going. The the scene with there's a girl. There's a girl outside. Please don't let me lose this job. No, there's a girl outside. Yeah. You know, where he's standing on the table like he just conquered freaking America. Like, it's so specific in in its movement. And that scene is almost always shown from Amy's perspective of she's outside crying and Laurie sticks his head out the window and says, what's wrong? Do you want to come in? So instead okay. showing it from his perspective of, Hey, Tudor, there's a girl. No, there isn't. Come on. No, I'm being serious. Look. And he drags that stool over so they can stand the same. Yeah. The movement, I think, is different and good. While still feeling authentic to the text of who Laurie is. Okay. And I think it it takes a, a talented set of actors and directors to remain authentic to the text while finding new things to bring or different things to bring. I think this movie does a wonderful job of, for, for lack of a better term, kind of terraforming Little Women to a modern audience while still maintaining the integrity of the initial story. Yeah. And it's a it's a thing that I, I really love about it. Uh, I also love that Marmee is, is just urging Joe to forgive Amy and she says, like, she's not sorry enough. <laughs> Do they hate each other this much in a book, Amy and Joe? They certainly have times where they do, yeah. Okay. But I, I feel that it is implied that Amy has grown up a great deal in the book. It is okay. not shown in the way that it is shown in the film. Okay. So I feel that she has done a great service by the film in this way. Because we actually get to see it happen. Okay. Instead of just taking everyone's word for it that it's implied. Cool. I saw Little Women like two or three weekends ago, and I love Little Women. Um, mm-hmm. Of the new movies I've seen this year, I have it directly below uh, Portrait of Lady on Fire. So they're my number one and my number two for this year. It started out a pretty strong year for the movies, but who knows where we're actually going to go with cinema. I mean, I'm optimistic that this means that Portrait of a Lady on Fire is going to just sweep the 2021 oscars because it's the only movie that will have come out no nah, it's not because it was eligible last year i, I mean it was a, it's a foreign film so the american release doesn't i believe it doesn't like play like any sort of matter in it being nominated and i just i'm at the point where they're about to do the first kiss bro the rocks them wearing the scarves you only see like the passion, like volcano erupting from their eyes. Hang on, oh, bro. Like, this is love. God damn. Maybe they weren't really in love when they made this movie, but Jesus Christ, this is a fucking kiss, man. I was looking at Boomerang, and those have kisses, but this is a goddamn kiss, man. Yeah. The boings are going to be cascading from here to Mississippi. Let boingdom ring. From every oh, mountain, right. Every they, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, lost the Francis Oscar pick to the remake of Les Mis they did. 
<laughs> Barf. So, uh, great news. Birds of Prey is going to win all the Oscars, and so is Invisible Man, because they're the only movies that came oh out this year. God. Yo. Oh, my God. Invisible Man is so bad. God damn, that movie was so bad. Well, it wasn't so bad, but it was... It was worse than what it actually should have been. I think Little Women is great. I think there's no right way to be a woman. I think that it does a beautiful job of telling Beth's story because I feel like Beth's death is often lumped into the middle of the film. Oh, Beth dying. Jesus Christ. Spoiler alert, but... For a 200-year-old book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Spoiler alert. But usually (laughs) her death occurs halfway or perhaps two thirds of the way through the film. And I remember seeing it in the theater and thinking, is she going to live? Obviously not long term, but like, are they going to make it so her death kind of happens right at the end? And they don't quite do that, but I very much appreciated the way that they did choose to, to handle it. And I thought it made it feel better realized. So moral of the story... It's June now. Happy Pride. There's no right way to be a woman. I don't, I mean, I don't know what else y'all want from me here. <sighs> I mean, the, the slogan of our podcast should be, there's no right way to be a woman. Some men stop trying. <laughs> like, that's basically, we like, should do this again sometime with Kat and Mark. There's no right way to be a woman. <laughs> basically. But no, man, like, I think the multitude of their stories, the depth of all the characters, the cinematography, even the lessons on the battle between being a creative and chasing your dreams versus the limitation society places on women. There's a lot of stories to kind of extrapolate from this one movie. And Greta Gerwig and the rest of the cast did an excellent job. Florence Pugh, like, my God, like she's probably going to be around for a super long time and i'm ready for I'm that i'm here for it yeah greta gerwick you met up for lady bird congratulations mm-hmm. <laughs> are we ever going to watch lady bird for this podcast <laughs> uh, if if ah, no we're not <laughs> If Greta directs another movie, then we might have to. Nah, that's kind of Lady Bird. It's like sound advice or whatever. It's like comics, conventions, and cosplay or whatever. It's like ladies' night or whatever. It's like wrestling or whatever. It's like parenting or whatever. It's like anime or whatever. It's like spiritual warfare, or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people, coming around doing what we do best, or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow, or whatever. It's like a podcast, or whatever. So to round it out, the farewell. Farewell, I caught last year. I caught it last year. And one of the biggest things of the movie that I loved was that Aquafina was not on 10. She was at a 10. We needed her at a 2. She was at a very good 2. Yeah. <laughs> but no, nah, man, the farewell, like, being really serious, the farewell was a very 
beautiful movie also like this like this is probably the, the beautifulest movie we've had so far the beautifulest episode like everything yeah. that these women directors do in these three vastly different movies even though the times are different in each movie they're telling these vastly different stories but it's really the multitude and depth of the the experience of being a woman and being a girl turning into a woman all these sort of different sort of feelings and thoughts and the farewell the the woman that paid the grandmother i i tweeted it last year for like oscar nominations or whatever but the her playing the grandmother like she was the grandmother to have man like she was funny she was caring she like shitted on people when they needed to get shitted on like every grandmother should <laughs> like she was so cute and so fucking excellent in that role man yeah. like it was an incredible job by her i honestly think most of the cast in this movie did an excellent job yeah i saw it for the first time this weekend because honestly when i was 14 and my my auntie, who was like my my nanny, who had basically raised me from birth, got pancreatic cancer. Oh, man. Um, and from December to mid-February, we had to watch her die. Shit. I'm sorry. Um, it happens. I try not to overfeel it, if that makes sense. You know, I've done a lot of processing with it. I've I've done a lot of therapy about it. You know, and I, I can, it is a thing I can live with. Yeah. But I was anxious about seeing this film because... Honestly, in between the coronavirus, the unrest that is happening because of the fucking racism that's still existing and, you know, everything else that's kind of going on right now, I was really worried that this was going to just totally push me down. Oh, hell yeah. 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 And I was not expecting this movie to be such a joy. Yeah, man. The end. I still remember being in a movie theater at the end when they're driving away and you're like, fuck man like i love this i love this woman i love this cast like i feel so you know i'm i'm invested in the movie like the movie has done its job like i'm i'm a guy looking at moving pictures on the wall and i'm invested in this story and then the end comes up and we get the massive payoff and i was so fucking happy bro i was i was so fucking happy man the the end scene of the farewell honestly all of it so for me like i uh dragged my computer outside with an extension cord and snuggled up on a blanket and watched it outside on sunday and from when the grandmother comes in and she tells her that she didn't get the fellowship to the end i think might be like some of the the most perfect like 20 minutes of filmmaking Mm, it was really solid shit man it really was the whole movie is so it is almost presented as a comedy like it's not about something funny but the idea that they're kind of almost hot potatoing who has to carry the most of this weight yeah it creates a lot of comedic moments what's wrong dad please tell me when that is dying she doesn't know so you can't say anything the family thinks it's better not to tell her why is that better? Chinese people have saying when people get cancer, they die. But it also creates a lot of moments of deep depth. Yeah. That you can really feel. Yeah, I think maybe the one of the most important scenes of the movie is when uh, Aquafina catches her dad and uncle like smoking, and the uncle was like, "That's the difference between you know the east and the west. You know, in the east." We make the we make the conscious decision to carry that burden 
for that one person so they don't have to do it. And the only reason you want to tell them is because you feel guilty. And by telling them, it takes that guilt away, which I thought was actually a pretty solid point. Now I don't know. I definitely don't condone you know lying to someone about their medical condition, but their thought process in that one scene, it it actually made a lot of sense as to why the family made the choice not to tell her. So I thought that was some. I thought that that particular scene was like some pretty good story making. I will be honest. I when I say that I got close to tears a couple of times during this movie. But when the credits started to roll and they said that the woman that that Nine is based off of has actually made it for the last six years. Yes. I just I started bawling. Oh my <laughs> god, I was a mess. Um, yeah. You know because sometimes that happens. Yeah. That's a whole other set of issues to deal with because it's hard to exist with that that ticking grenade and that's a thing you're feeling this whole movie that they do such a wonderful job of expressing you know when someone only has you know three months or less to live and you feel that every time they cough is this it every time they have a good day is this the last good day you know and i feel like that feeling is really well captured yeah, because when she's like getting an exam in the the doctor's office and she's waiting and she coughs, is like every cough is like kind of like a step closer to what people don't want to face. Right. Yeah. It's it's very well captured in a way that I think a lot of films don't always capture the the for lack of a better term the mundanity of disease. Yeah. While still making it more about everyone else dealing with it. Yeah. When I when I watched this last year, I had this as my number three movie of 2019. Man, I'm I am actually glad that it did come to San Antonio when it did. But you know, it was one of the foreign films that actually get a pretty good release, and it did pretty well in the box office, uh, from what I remember. But and also, like I said before, even though I was kind of joking, but I was really serious. I'm really glad Aquafina did not ghettoize her accent and all the all the baggage she brings to life. I'm really glad like she didn't do any of that in this movie. I. But don't get her and i really really want to like i get her in this movie but you don't get her in real life or or perhaps i more accurate to say i don't get her in like nora from queens (laughs) like that's that's the kind of thing man like this is real kind of slippery slope of people who idolize black culture but they do it in a very haphazard very sloppy way where they're basically doing caricatures of what they think is cool about blackness and then it's really gross in a lot of different ways like it's almost a fetishization no, it is. It's like for when people describe like white people as as wiggers, but there are segments of white people that grew up around black people, and so they're by osmosis they're embedded in black culture. They aren't being posers. Like it's what they know. Like I went to high school with like this one white kid, <laughs> and we called him White Mike for obvious reasons. <laughs> but he was like he was the type of kid that he wasn't like like he grew up around like mostly all black people 
So it wasn't like him seeing something from afar, idolizing it, and then trying to do something with it. Like, he dressed like us. Like, other than saying the N-word, he he talked like us. Yeah, like, that's what he knew. So when he was around us, even though we called him White Mike, it wasn't a big deal or whatever. Like, he he listened to go-go music. He listened to rap music because that's what we all listen to in in suburban Maryland. Mm Mm-hmm. But then it's kind of like people in like for her instance, like in New York City, where they may be adjacent to black people, but in their households and like their super like close neighborhoods, like they weren't necessarily growing up around black people. They didn't have black teachers. They didn't have like black best friends, but they but because they're in New York City, they can still see it like pretty close. But then you know, they kind of amalgamated into something that is very posery and very gross. And so Aquafine has been someone who, for a lot of people, she she goes into the, the gross boundaries. Like, And it's kind of a thing, like, for hip-hop culture and Black youth culture, it's pop culture. Like, this is stuff that has been seen by America, monetized, popularized, and... It, in a lot of ways, has been taken away from us. Mm-hmm. So when outsiders see it, it's kind of one thing to appreciate it, but then to go around and like try to take away from the culture and not give anything to it, that's when it it gets into the appropriation part. Like that's when it gets gross. Like when you see like white white women and white men in cornrows <laughs> or you know it's it's there's a lot of it that kind of tills the line like there's one thing where you can say like internet culture in a lot of ways like you can pick up a lot of slang or whatever for internet culture just through osmosis that's kind of one thing but to take people's culture and lifestyle and try to make it your own without being a part of it that's when it gets into the gross territory. And so for Aquafina, like a lot of her a lot of her sort of mannerisms are kind of in the gross territory in a lot of people's eyes. A good example of this is from Crazy Rich Asians. The movie itself, it's a it's a complete Asian culture movie. So you don't see Aquafina you don't see her with black best friends. You don't see her with like black boyfriends. You don't see her in blackness. Mm-hmm. So when she's is a character in this movie, she's basically doing Kanisha, but Chinese. So it's like, yo, you don't need to be on a 10. You can, I mean, if you're from New York city and you use like slang, you know, okay. But in a lot of people's eyes, her performance in that movie was a real sort of like yeah take this from a 10 to a 2 and you would have been way better here's what you need to understand all right it's not about getting eleanor to like you it's about getting her to respect you all right right now she just thinks you're some like undeserving clueless gold digging yeah i got it trashy unrefined banana yellow on the outside white on the inside i know what a banana is when in reality you're like a super sophisticated, smart professor of frickin' game theory. Show her that side of you, you know? You're right. Damn straight, I'm right. Spike Lynn, I'm always right. Yeah, she's like trying to play a game of chicken with me. 
where she's like coming at me and like thinking I'm gonna swerve like a chicken. But you can't swerve. I'm not gonna swerve, not for her. No, chickens are bitches, dude. And I'm not a chicken. You're not a chicken. You gonna roll up to that way and you gonna be like, fuck, fuck, bitch. Fuck, fuck, bitch. Chickens are bitches. <laughs> Sorry, uncle. I mean, even in the the book, she's a little over the top, just because I have read that book. But in in that case, you know, Aquafina's a ten. The character's like a four. <laughs> Everyone else is a two. Yeah. So her fourness feels over the top compared to everyone else's two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so when it's a 10, it's like, oh, she's in a different movie. Yeah. So I appreciate that she figured out the tone of this one well. And yeah. considering that she is, in a lot of ways, the emotional centerpiece of this movie, was able to carry that in a yeah. way that was authentic and beautiful and still aquafina essent yeah like even in the one small ass scene when she's walking by the the woman who's signing people up and she even jokes with her like casually you can tell like that's her personality you can tell she's a smart ass but she does have like a funny side or whatever like that's not necessarily a problem but even the name like aquafina like why is it spelled like that <laughs> Like, uh, <laughs> like, I genuinely don't understand. I mean... Except that I, like, kind of... I hope it's not what I think it is. I mean... But it probably is. I mean... What do you want to go by? Nora or Aquafina? <laughs> I mean, pop it, pop it in as an in-quotes <sighs> name. Bro. You know, also like, dear God, I hope someone else gave her that nickname. She didn't just be like, I, I from I this day on, forward, I put on my black scent and decided that this is who I am now. Yeah. Cause that's how it feels. Her origin story cannot be a black woman saying, you know what, Nora, you look like an Aquafina. That can't happen. That cannot be her Spider-Man story. <laughs> I got bit by a radioactive black woman. Oh my god, that cannot be her story, yo. It can't be. <sighs> but like I said, I am actually thrilled she didn't elevate. I mean, because even an actor like Jared Leto, who is always on 10 no matter fucking what speaking of people that went from a 10 to a 2 his performance in blade runner 2049 he's at like oh, a he's in that he is but i will say though he's like a three and a half or four mm-hmm. he's not at full 10 which is a really really good thing because i thought he was gonna fuck that movie up i really did but he's taming that one so they did a good I, job that. i really don't care for him at all i mean um, he, you shouldn't. He's, he's got, like, nice eyes, I guess. But, like, a lot of people can do well in the genetics department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also feel very strongly, and, and you know, this is, a, I'm sure, a gong I'll be banging for a long time. If you're making a movie about trans people, cast trans people, or at least consult trans people. And Dallas Buyers Club went... You know, okay, and it, that you know shows in that performance. Jesus, I was gonna say I didn't know even though we were referencing, but I agree with you. That's what sort the of movie's about a trans person. At least a crossdresser. Matthew McConaughey is a hustler who helps 
patients get AIDS medication, but only after he gets AIDS. Yeah, I, I picked that up. And uh, Jared Leto plays fellow AIDS patient Rayan, a transsexual, so a, a trans woman. Okay. Much like Eddie Redmayne in the Dallas, or not, uh, Eddie Redmayne in the Dutch Girl, stay in your lane. But Just because you got them feminine hips does not mean. Hilarious. <laughs> hold on. Hold the phone. I complete. I have it wrong. I gave all these five stars. Holy shit. I, I think I gave The Arrival four. The Arrival? The Departure. De- farewell? Fuck. God. Jesus. Ooh, what a fumble. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> take, take me out back and shoot me like old yeller, man. It's because I was trying to, like, open six apps at a time and my brain just went, what? Mm. But, you know. So I gave The Farewell 4. I gave Portrait of a Lady on Fire 5. Oh, so you did. So you're going to give it 5. Yep. I The, the decision was made. I gave it 5. Because, frankly, I, I struggled to think of a movie that I enjoyed as much and didn't have any criticisms of after the fact. Maybe that's what you should save your 5 stars for. Movies that you feel within that specific genre are the perfect example of what that genre can make. Yeah, I I kind of like that because I think that makes it a little more special than just a very good movie. Yeah. I didn't log Little Women because I hadn't seen it. Like, I only logged my my 2020s and on because I wrote a Cat Sees Movies about it in 2020 or possibly late 2019, because I I totally put off writing about it, but because I enjoyed it so much. The TLDR that I gave is, it's a wonderful retelling of a classic story. Does it need to exist? Technically, no, but it does, and I'm really, really glad that it does. Yeah. And that is my second most popular review after my review of The Gentleman, weirdly. My review of The Gentleman blew up, and I don't know why. I mean, you wrote it well. <laughs> it was also, I feel like, a movie that a lot of people like knew was coming out, but like didn't get a lot of press. From so the... I feel like most press that it got, people were snapping up. Yeah, like most advertisements weren't even really true to what the movie was. I remember from the, the ads, they made it seem like the Asian guy was going to be the good guy. Yeah. Who's actually in Crazy Rich Asians. Which, Henry Golding! Which is super f- not what happened. Yeah. Let's wrap it up on The Farewell. I gave it five. You gave it four. What are your final thoughts on The Farewell? And then really, we will farewell. Really fucking good. I think it's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of comedy. And in a, in a year where there were a lot of films that were real sad. Yeah. I think that... The Farewell does a really beautiful job of balancing the sadness of an impending loss with the joy of sharing life and time with someone. Yeah, I the reason I wanted to do these three movies is because I do think 2019 really should be a stepping stone for a lot of uh, women creators, not just directors and actresses, but writers and producers executive producers and everything in between and i think these three movies really signify that in a great way Uh, because like i said i think parasite was the best movie of 2019 but everything below that you know like i said i think portrait on fire was the second best movie of 2019 i think uh little women was probably i would 
I like Booksmart, but even then, Booksmart is another example of a great woman doing a great movie. I would put that at number three. I put Little Woman number four, and I put Farewell at five. Like, so out of my favorite five movies of 2019, four of them were from different women from different perspectives through different uh, modes of time, sexuality, nationality, like, you know, not even uh, non-American, uh, like Chinese, like French, like, like women really have eclectic stories that they can tell. And I think these three movies along with books, Mark signify that. Um, so, I mean, who knows, like I said before, who knows where the future movies are going to go, but I think women have definitely proved, you know, they have the goods. Like, like women have the goods. So that yeah, that's another tagline of this show. Women have the goods. The goods. Yeah. I hope that 2019 is a, a gateway to more women directing more pictures. Definitely, man. I I definitely concur with that. I'm also excited for it to be a gateway to more Florence Pugh. <laughs> I mean, I would like a gateway to Florence Pugh. I mean, she's dating fucking Zach Braff. Hold on, from like Scrubs? Yeah. What? Oh, I, I could have had a chance, man. Dude, Damn dude. it. All right, he's 45. Ooh, no. I remember this story, yes. Oh, and she's no. She's 24. Ooh. And uh, I'll be honest, that doesn't super bother me. People are going to date who they're going to date and like who they're going to like. And, like, that's fine. Ooh. But, like, <laughs> girl, as someone who's dated a lot of older men, if you see a red flag, you run. He's not going to grow out of it. Oh my God. It's too late for him. Bro, 20 years older, yo. That's too much. That's too much. <laughs> I don't. We don't. We don't Ooh. judge in this house, but this is just a warning from we, from someone who's been there. Do we judge, we judge the necros? We we judge the necros, and we judge the twenty year old relationship gaps. <laughs> and I guess I guess we judge Navi fuckers like just a little, but only a little. Um, oh my god, we nailed the dismount. <laughs> Holy shit. I forgot she was fucking that dude, man. Golly. Ooh, that's a hard look, man. I think it's harder for him because he has to keep up with her. He just looks tired and sweaty on every red carpet. Bro, I've, I've watched Scrubs. He doesn't look athletic in any way, shape, or form. My man huffing and puffing. She's out here with movies with Timothy Chalamet. Bro, that's wild, man. God damn. Hollywood is so weird, man. Mm-hmm. How, how did he finesse that? That's the big question. That's Must have got in on that ground floor. I guess so, man. I guess so. Find Kat at Kat Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. Find Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Instagram. S H O I N M A D L O V. Please join our Facebook group at We Should Do This Again Sometime and follow us on Twitter at Kat, K-A-T, and Mark, M-A-R-C. Read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and themarkrob, T-H-E-M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. Be sure to tip your waitress 
at Catherine Chidetti on Venmo. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley under Hyphen Podcast Group in conjunction with It's Like a Podcast or whatever. Thanks again for listening. We should do this again sometime.